Yeah, well, I am really like, excited and honored to be able to share with you guys this morning. Um, it, it just feels like such a privilege to be able to be up here in front of you all in the church that I grew up in, the place where I came to like, know Jesus, learn more about him and his word, um, and then to be able to wrap up this series with you guys. I love this series, Renovation, Identity Under Construction. Um, this is a really important topic for us. I think the most important thing in our life is to understand our true identity, which is found in Christ alone. Um, and I just see the way that God has been working in my life. I see his plan. Like, I don't know it fully in my own life, but I, I'm at the point where I am starting to recognize that he's actually, like, he's doing something. He's working. He's renovating my life. It's, there's a lot of construction needed, um, but I, I can see that he is faithful to uh, continue and complete this work. Um, you guys don't get to see a picture of my family right now, but I think they are the, the picture of God's renovating my life. Um, I, like I said, I grew up in this church, and 15 years ago, I had my first experience of going to Mexico uh, on a mission trip. Matt took us, and uh, I, we got to work with Youth with a Mission down in Ensenada, Mexico. Um, and that was one of my biggest, like, memories of, like, having a desire to, like, be in missions. Um, I was a junior in high school at that time. And after coming from that trip, I was just on fire. I was ready to go. I loved what we got to do down there. Uh, but as I continued and finished out high school, I just felt like I really fizzled out. I felt like I lost picture of who I was in God. Um, and I, I was just kind of like going with the flow. Just whatever happened in life, that's what was happening. You know, I wasn't really seeking to go deep with the Lord. Um, but through a series of events, he really uh, captured me again. He reminded me of who I am in him um, and who he is to me. Um, and he called me back to uh, go serve for a summer in Ensenada, Mexico again with Youth with the Mission. That's the summer I met Ellie um, in 2012. And um, I've been serving in Ensenada for the better part of 10 years now with Youth with a Mission. Um, yeah, it's been really awesome. We've got to build homes. We've got to uh, disciple young people. My main role in our Ensenada campus is I am the training coordinator. Um, so in YWAM, we kind of have three avenues of ministry that we focus on. We have training, which is through schools that we run, uh, mercy ministries, and evangelism, like our Homes of Hope ministry, and um, we do street evangelism prayers and stuff like that. Um, and so I oversee our training department, and I specifically lead what we call the Discipleship Bible School. You guys may have heard that Pastor Kurt and Pastor Matt have both come down multiple times now to teach in the school that I lead. Um, and it's just been a really fruitful thing. I've been really blessed to be able to lead this program. Um, I, in 2019, I did a nine-month Bible school with YWAM, and that was a moment in my life where God really revealed himself to me. Um, at the start of that school, uh, our school leader asked us to, like, what, what's our purpose for being here? Why do we want to study God's word? And in my life, I really felt like I wanted to, like, encounter God intentionally and hear him speak to me personally. Because I think a lot of times I grew up and I would encounter God in our youth camps or on our mission trips. 
Um, and every once in a while, I felt like I, like I feel God is speaking to me, but it never felt like an intentional moment in my life where like I actually like sought out to like be with the Lord and hear him speak to me. And what I found through nine months of studying his word, I, every time I open this book, I'm encountering him intentionally and he's speaking to me personally. And so that's really been like my desire is to like lead our students in Ensenada to come to know Jesus intimately and we have this book that he's given to us that we can open up every single day and learn more about him. One thing I love about Jesus is that he has given all of himself to us and every day there's more and more that he's giving. And so this word really is living and active, like it says. We can go to it every single day. We go to the same passage every single day, and God can continue to use that in our lives. Um, and so that's been, again, my desire down in Ensenada is to see young people come and have a desire to study God's word and to have like a, a lifetime of studying his word. We, we say regularly that we're always students. Just because I've completed my school uh, with YWAM, I'm no longer not a student. I'm always seeking to learn. Um, and so I hope that is our desire, is that like, we want to come and learn more about Jesus, encounter him today in his scripture. Um, and so we're going to be, again, wrapping up this series, um, of this renovation series, and I'm going to be reading out of 2 Corinthians 13, verses 5 through 14. Now, depending on the Bible translation you have, your chapter may end with 13 verses, Mine ends with 14. I'm reading out of the ESV. The only difference is that in some translations, they group two verses together. But everything I'm going to be reading, you'll have in your Bible as well. But so what it says is, starting at verse 5, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. But we pray to God that you may not do wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For, for we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come I may not have to be severe in my use of authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of, the, of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So this is the passage we want to look at this morning. I think one thing I really try to impress on my students down in Ensenada is that the Bible is one unified story. And so there's times where we're going to zoom in on a text, but we also need to like zoom out and look at what is the big picture of God's word. And so it's possible this morning we're going to be kind of zooming in and zooming out because we want to know what Paul is writing in this letter, but we also want to understand what does it have to do with the rest of the story of Scripture? Because all of Scripture is pointing us to Jesus, um, and so when we're looking at this passage, again, we're going to kind of zoom in and zoom out. 
And so the question we want to ask ourselves is, what is the Bible about anyways? I think this is a question that a lot of people have. This is a question that often stops people or slows people down from really getting into God's Word because they just don't know what it's about, where to start. Um, it's, I, I can say it's not just a book of, about how to be a good person. It's not just a book about how to get into heaven or stay out of hell. It's a story, this whole story from Genesis to Revelation is telling us one unified story that points us to Jesus. Um, and so something in the school we do, we do theme traces. Um, and so what we do when we read throughout all of scripture, we trace certain themes that we find out in each book of the Bible. And so one of our main themes is God's redemptive plan. Because I'll say that is what the story of the Bible is about. Um, so we want to know that. We want to know what is God's redemptive plan for us, for mankind. Another theme we trace is God's character and nature. Uh, but as I've been studying the Bible, I have found a theme um, that has just been like highlighted to me. And it's this theme of the garden. And I think when we look at scripture, we actually get to see, there's a, like, God wants to tell us about this garden. And so I want to read from Genesis chapter 2, verses 7 and 9, or 7 to 9. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put man who him formed. Whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and then the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then it goes on and it tells us about some rivers that are flowing out. And then as we get to verse uh, 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of this garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in this day that you eat it, you shall surely die. And so it says in this garden, God put man there to work it, to keep it, and to enjoy it. We, he, we got to eat of every tree in this garden except for one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, but there's another tree that was spoken of that man didn't eat from. It was the tree of life. That was a tree that was accessible to mankind to eat from, but instead they chose the knowledge of good and evil, and that brought about death. Um, and so as we first open up the Bible, we have this beautiful picture of the garden. Now, if you were to fast forward and go all the way to the end, I know people who are book readers, they don't want to read the last chapter before they've read everything, uh, but we're going to do that today. Um, I want to go to Revelation 21, starting at verse 22. And I'm going to read into chapter 22 as well. It says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city had no need for sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. But by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street in the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. No longer will there be anything accursed, but its throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light 
for, of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. And so we see Genesis, we have this beautiful garden. Revelation, we have this beautiful garden city. In Genesis, we had the tree of life. In Revelation, we have the water of life and the tree of life. So it's just this city that we get to look toward that is just full of life. No death can be here. Um, and then as we go out through scripture, we see that God is continually talking about the garden. When we uh, follow the Israelites in the wilderness, they build the tabernacle. Later, they build the temple. When we look at the, the details of these two places where God is dwelling, we see palm trees, pomegranates. We see bright colors being woven into the veil to like replicate flowers. It's built with the cedars of Lebanon. So it's just like this garden temple where God is dwelling. As we continue, we see that God is often referring to his people as a vineyard. He's the vine dresser. He's the one tending the, the vineyard. Um, Jesus comes in. He talks of these parables of the kingdom of God, how it's this tiny seed that will grow into the biggest tree, providing shelter and shade. Um, and so we see there's this constant, like, bringing us back, focusing on the garden. And something Jesus says at what I would say is the climax of the story of the Bible is when Jesus is on the cross in Luke 23, verses 42 and 43. He says, and he said, this is the thief talking, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said, Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And now something interesting, we have this word paradise. Jesus says, today I'm going to be with you in paradise. This, is, this comes from a Greek word, which I don't speak Greek, but I'm going to do my best. Paradisos, we can kind of hear that word paradise. Oftentimes it's interpreted to mean heaven, the place where God is going. But if we literally translate that word paradise, Jesus is saying, I will be with you in the garden. That word paradise means garden. And so Jesus is reminding him that you saw that garden in the beginning of creation. We're going back to that together. We're going to that garden city. And so I think when we look at all of scripture, we have to have this image in mind of like, this is where God formed us, and this is where God is bringing us back to the garden. Um, and we have to remember that there's really nothing we can do to get there. I think this is really hard for us at times to recognize that, like, there's nothing I can actually do to, like, work my way into this garden because Jesus did it all. And so, again, when we look at Scripture, we have to consider what is it that God is doing and what is it that I'm supposed to be doing. And I think what we'll see is it's God is doing the work and we are doing the worship. And so today, what I want to do is highlight those things. I want to highlight what God is doing and how we're supposed to be responding in worship. So as we turn back to our text, um, as I was reading it over, I thought what this, the title of our uh, morning should be is Identity Under Examination. Paul is going to be talking about this test, this examination, uh, to Consider, like, are we walking in the faith or not? Are we truly walking in our identity um, in Christ? And so we're going to kind of walk back through this text um, and pause at times and really, you know, zoom in and zoom out. And so I want to start back at the beginning at um, verses 5 and 6. It says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? 
in, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I hope that you will find that we have not failed the test. And so what we see is this, again, this um, need to examine our lives. Um, but like I said, there's really nothing that we can do ourselves to, like, we can look at the things that we're doing in our lives, but there's not much that we can do to actually, like, bring our own righteousness and, like, bring us back into the, the faith. It's what the Lord does. And so what I see is, like, throughout all of Scripture— um, it's God's work to be searching us. Uh, David cries out in Psalm 139, uh, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be anything, any grievous way in me, and lead me into the way of everlasting. And so that has to be our desire, is to just say, like, Jesus, we need you to search us. We need you to do the work to find the things that are wrong in my lives. Because remember, God looks at the inward appearance of our heart, where man just looks at the outward appearance of our actions. Um, and so we really need Jesus to go deep inside of us and really search me. Um, and our only response to that is to be to submit to him. Romans 8, 6 through 8 says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so later on, James talks about how we have this need to submit to God, because if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy to God. And so in our lives, we have this, like, challenge that we face of, like, wanting to, like, appeal to the desires of the flesh, but wanting to truly walk in the Spirit. The flesh gives us this instant gratification. The world wants to give us this instant gratification. We see this now through, like, social media, just, like, these quick little videos that really, like, draw us in. It gets us excited. We want to swipe and see another one. Uh, but Jesus, he wants us to slow down. We constantly see Jesus going away and having these moments of, like, silence and solitude to be with the Lord. Um, and so I think that's really what we have to learn to do is to submit to the things that he's saying to us. I think one of the most challenging lessons I've learned in my life is to learn how to pray for conviction. Um, I think conviction is a challenging thing because sometimes it really hurts when God is, you know, opening our eyes to these things in our lives that are leading us away from him. Um, and I think if we're all, like, if we seriously look at ourselves, there are things possibly today that, like, want to pull us away from what God really has for our lives because, like, we want that instant gratification. And I just, I felt like the Lord was reminding me, like, you need to, like, you need to ask for conviction, no matter how much it hurts. And he's, like, been teaching me to pray for conviction that hurts so much that I have no other response but to, like, move into that conviction. Because we know that conviction will lead us to restoration with Jesus. Um, and so I really want to encourage you guys, like, seek out conviction. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. Allow him to search your inner being um, and really submit to that and seek that um, conviction that he wants to bring. Because when we do, again, we get to walk in our true identity in him. As we continue through 2 Corinthians, we get to verse 7. It says, But we pray to God that you may not do wrong, that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we, 
may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason I write these things that while I am away from you, that when I come I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. And as I was reading this, I felt like this is where Paul is starting to really highlight this idea of restoration. Like I said, in my life, um, I have had moments where I just really, like, I don't think I ever had a moment where I just completely turned my back to Jesus, but I just, I've had a lot of moments where I've seen Jesus over there, and I'm just walking this way. Um, And he, he, through that conviction, has been reminding me of, like, the painful process it can be. Uh, I think a lot of people are aware, I hope it's okay to talk about this, but this, the situation that our family went through with my mom having a heart attack, um, and God was, like, really, it happened at a time when I was preparing for my, the Bible school that I lead, um, and actually, the, the passage that he was leading me to, like, make as our theme verse down um, in our school came out of Ezekiel 11, 19, and 20. And it says, And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put in them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And he gave me this picture of this idea of open heart surgery. That's what Jesus has to do in our lives. We have this heart of stone. We have this buildup that is just blocking everything, blocking all sources of life in our life. And um, God says, like, we need a total transplant of the heart. You can't keep that heart anymore if you want to continue to live, if you want to walk with me for eternity. I have to actually remove that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And this all happened at the time when my mom had to have open heart surgery. Um, and so this, this has been something that has really, like, um, God has really been highlighting and opening my eyes to, like, the, the severity of our sin and the severity of our desire to walk in the flesh because that's what brings that buildup of our hearts. And it's only through his open heart surgery that we can actually like have new life, sustainable life in him. Um, and through that, the only thing we can do is to offer our prayers regularly to him. There's nothing we can do to chip away at that plaque in our heart. All we can do is just like offer our prayers to the Lord as like uh, uh, incense and an offering to him. Psalm 141 verse 2 says, Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Um, I think if we want to be people who are committed to walking with Jesus, we have to be people who are committed to a prayer life. This has been something in my life that has been challenging. There's times where I just don't know what to pray. I don't know how to pray. And sometimes I'm praying and I just feel like, you know, am I just talking to myself, you know? Um, And I want to encourage you guys that, like, if we are like persistent in this, like we get to start to see some fruit of that. I felt really convicted that if I want to actually be a man of prayer, I need to look for opportunities to pray, to pray. 
And uh, so one thing that the Lord really led me to do is to join our intercession team down in Ensenada. Every Thursday morning at 8.30, we come together as a campus, and we have a time of intercession. And um, so I joined this team where we get to essentially um, prepare like a theme for the quarter or for the year, whatever we feel like the Lord is leading us to, and lead our campus into times of intercession. And it's been a really fruitful year for me. I joined at the very beginning of the year. Um, but it's also been a really fruitful thing for our community. We're seeing people have like a desire to come and like just pray for the nations, pray for those in our lives who don't know Jesus. Um, and so I want to encourage you guys, if you want to be people of prayer, find opportunities to pray. Uh, we have the Psalms. David is known to be like one of the greatest psalmists. He, he pours his heart out. Um, and some of the psalms that we read, these prayers that he's giving to the Lord, are really tough. He went through a challenging life. Uh, he had people who wanted to kill him, and I think he wanted them dead as well. And he told, he told the Lord that. He said, like, take care of my enemies. But he always ended with this idea of, like, but not my will, but yours be done. And so I want to encourage you guys, if you don't know what to pray, go to the Psalms. Like, learn from others. Learn from, like, prayers of people throughout church history. We have, like, amazing records of prayers of, like, church, you know, leaders throughout all of history who have, uh, we've, like, collected their prayers. And, like, if we don't know what to pray, pray someone else's prayer. It's an amazing place to start. Uh, but I really want to encourage you guys, like, if we want to walk with Jesus, we have to have that intimate, like, moments of conversation with him. Learn to be people who just pray regularly. I read a book um, written by someone named Brother Lawrence, um, who he was like a dishwasher in France, and he learned how to practice the presence of God in all the things that he does. He learned how to just have like regular communion with the Lord um, as he washed dishes, as he ran errands. Um, and I, I hope that that's our desire, is that like, in, no matter what we're doing, that we're seeking to like, actively be with Jesus. You know, even if it, like, it, down in Ensenada, there's times we're sweeping a courtyard. We live on a dirt road, and every day we sweep this courtyard, and an hour later it's dirty again. But we, we try to do it faithfully without grumbling. But those are moments that I can give to Jesus and have conversation with him. Um, and so find, like, find little moments in your life to just, like, be with the Lord in prayer. Um, and if God is leading you, I know we have an intercession team here. I get prayer emails regularly. Um, and so if you're feeling led to join something like that, step into that, because that's a way that we can worship God um, and walk with him. It says in Hebrews that Jesus's ministry is to intercede for his people. And so actually when we intercede, we get to like partner in ministry with Jesus right there in that moment. Um, so find those opportunities. But so as we continue in 2 Corinthians, um, starting at verse 11, it says, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Um, I think when I, when I read this, like, what we have to recognize is that end passage, that the God of love and peace will be with you. What God's work is in our life is to indwell the believer. He has said that if you come to know Jesus intimately and personally, recognize him as Lord and Savior of, 
our, your life, he is going to dwell within you bodily. We become the new temple of God. And so it's his work to actually like enter into us and like take residency within us and to walk with us daily. Um, if we were to read John 15, the whole, the whole verse, or the whole chapter is amazing, but John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So it says that we need to abide in him, but as we're abiding in him, he's also abiding in us. So there's just this regular communion of like being connected together. And our worship back to him is to imitate Christ. If you were to go to John 13, which is just the page back, it says in chapter or 13, verses 30, uh, 34, a new command I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my di- disciples, if you have love for one another. Um, this is what Jesus is calling us to, is to walk with him daily, abide in him, and show the love that he showed. Since there's no greater love than to lay, your, lay down your life for a friend, that's what Jesus did for us. That's why we have the cross. We look at it and remember the work that he did on the cross, and how he took all of our sin, he took all of our shame, and he, he died on the cross with it, buried it in the grave, and he left that in the grave, that sin and that shame, and then he re- restored his own life. He came back to life, resurrected, so that we could walk with him now in eternity um, in our true identity with him. And so we're called, as an act of worship, to imitate him. Paul is really bold to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I think in my life, am I like walking in a way where I can tell that to others? Can I like, I, there's times where I like look at myself and say, can I stand here before you guys and say, imitate me as I'm imitating Christ? But that's what Jesus calls us to do. He says to walk in the manner that I'm walking. He came as an example for us to walk in his ways and to show the love that he showed, to be sacrificial, to be giving, to be generous. Um, And I feel like God is leading me in a place to be able to say that to others. Um, And I hope that this is something that we can all do. I think it's really important that as we're looking at this renovation process in our lives, this identity under construction, that we actually take time to recognize that God is working in our lives. I think for a long time, I didn't recognize those things. Like, I knew, like, God was living in me. I knew, like, I was seeking to, like, serve him through missions. Uh, But it's been in the last, you know, four or five years that I'm actually recognizing, like, wow, like, God has done a lot in my life to mature me, to, like, move me into, like, different places of leadership, to, like, disciple others, and it's really good to actually step back and recognize that, because now I actually have a picture of, like, okay, this is what he's doing. I think for a while we just think he's, you know, ripping things off, you know. I think when we look at construction, it looks really terrible for a while, and you're just like, what is happening? What is this supposed to, is this a kitchen? Um, I think that's, I think that's Kurt's question right now, right? Um, but down, down in Mexico, there's, it seems like there's always construction going on. Um, I'm not, this is something, I'm not the biggest fan of the way that they do construction down in Mexico, but hey, it's all right. God called me there. Um, but oftentimes roads are under construction. I think that happens here, but what they do down there is they destroy the entire road so you can't use it anymore. 
I think sometimes here they'll like break off a lane and they'll kind of, you know, reroute traffic. Down there it's like, this road is no longer in use, find a new way to go. And um, right now, uh, in front of our campus, like a, a road that runs alongside our campus, um, they're doing construction on the road. They're paving a road next to the campus. And for the longest time, we're just like, what are they doing? They dig it up, they flatten it out, and we're like, all right, I can kind of see, maybe there's going to be a paved road here. And then the next day, they dig it up again, and they hit a water pipe, and the whole street's flooded. And we're just like, you know, maybe it's a lost cause. Um, And I think there's been times in my life where that's what it's felt like. You know, like, what what is God trying to do? Yeah, I just feel like I'm flooded, and dug up, and you can't tell what I am. I'm, I'm useless. Uh, but as we allow the Lord to continue in that process, we say, like, okay, he's actually, like, I can kind of see where he's headed. I know he has a lot of work to continue to do in my life. Um, I'll be quick to recognize that. Uh, but I can actually see that, like, yeah, he is doing things, and there's, like, progress that, like, I should actually, like, slow down and recognize and thank God for. And I think that's something that we all need to be intentional is to, like, slow down and look at, like, what has God done in our lives? Um, one of, like, the most repeated commands, especially in the Old Testament, is that God tells his people to remember um, if you know the story of the Old Testament, you know that Israel were, they were slaves in Egypt. They were brought out by a mighty hand and outstretched arm. They were led through the wilderness and established as a people. Um, and there, unfortunately, was a lot of grumbling that took place. And God continues to say, remember what I did. Remember how you were slaves to this nation and how I showed my, my might and my power and I brought you into freedom. And I think that's what God is continuing to tell us is to remember, to slow down and actually look at, okay, I was there and now I'm here. I know I need, like, to keep moving forward, but, like, I can praise God for where I'm at right now. Um, and so I think that's, that, that's really important that we slow down and take those moments. And then finally, as we continue through Second uh, Corinthians, starting at verse 12, it says, greet one another with a holy kiss. I'm not going to go into too much detail there. Uh, <laughs> Um, All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I love how Paul ends this because he ends it with the Trinity. He says that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with you all. We need to recognize that God is three in one. He's constantly walking in unity with himself and he desires for us to walk in that unity with him. I think one of the greatest chapters in the Bible, it comes from John 17. This is what we often call the high priestly prayer. Um, And it's Jesus' prayer at the end of his life. He prays uh, like regarding his relationship with him and the Father. And then he prays for his disciples around him. And then he prays for those who will come to know Jesus because of his disciples, which is us. So he's actually praying for us in John 17. And uh, if you were to read John 17, starting at verse 20, this is where he starts praying for us in this room today. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, uh, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
The glory that you have sent me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. I think this is God's greatest desire for our walk on this earth, is that his work is going to be to lead us in him, and our worship is to lead others to him. Um, in this, like, he's just saying, like, I want you guys to be one as me and the Father as one. As, like, I, the Trinity, am one. I want you as believers to all be one together. Jesus desires that we, um, in our differences of opinions, maybe they're political, maybe, you know, whatever it may be, he says that if we've come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that we're supposed to walk in unity, and there should be something different about us. And it's through our unity and love for one another that we show Jesus to the rest of this world. That's going to be our greatest testimony as believers. And I think even now more than ever, when we're living in a time that is very uh, divisive and like people are really like in one camp or another, we're seeing this a lot um, in the culture around us. Um, And the way that we can actually represent Jesus is by coming together and saying like, we may have differences. I may not agree with everything that Matt agrees with, uh, but I love him as a brother, and so we're going to be united in our walk with Jesus. And that's what he's calling us to, um, to be one as he and the Father are one. And so as we look at this, I think the question that I ask myself is, how do we actually examine ourselves, and what does it look like to pass the test? And when I think about it, I think that really, like, True spiritual examination can only take place in the garden, like we saw uh, uh, throughout all of Scripture, that we need to go back to the garden. So if you guys were paying attention to some of the things I was saying in on the slides, um, some of the points I had in the beginning, search me and submit to him. So we've got an S there. Open heart surgery and offer prayers regularly. O, indwell in the believer, imitate Christ, I, and then lead us in him, lead others to him, L. If I can spell correctly, that spells soil. I think so. S-O-I-L. Hope so. Um, And so I think what I recognize is there's actually a soil test that we can take to actually recognize, are we walking with Jesus? Are we seeking to, like, add depth to our roots? And uh, Jesus tells about this uh, soil test in Matthew 13. Um, In Matthew 13, starting at verse 3, he says, And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. And then it continues. uh, A lot of people are confused. Uh, Oftentimes people are confused by the parables. I think that's intentional with Jesus um, to like really find the people who are listening um, with their spiritual ears. But Jesus actually uh, opens up this parable starting at verse 18. He says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately falls away. 
As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches chokes the word and proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in others sixty, and in others thirty. And so we have to ask ourselves, what does our soil look like? And how am I responding to the world around me? I think this is a really important thing that we do in our life is to recognize man, or man was placed in the garden to tend it, to work it, to keep it, to enjoy it. And so we actually have to like go and like inspect the soil. We have to like till the soil and like loosen up those rocky things that are in there and get rid of them so that there could be depth. Um, of, of our roots and like add nourishment and like allow that living water to like like go deep into the soil um, and the soil is the word of God I think it is so important in our lives that we come to know this book intimately that we have a desire to be in this daily because this is the soil this is what actually allows us to continue faithfully with Jesus if we want to walk with Jesus we have to know who he is and if the Bible is all pointing to Jesus we need to know what it says in the Bible um, I think when we look at all of Scripture we have the Old Testament it's all pointing forward to Jesus. Then we have Jesus come through the Gospels, and then the rest of the New Testament is all pointing back to Jesus. And so we have to know who Jesus is throughout all of Scripture. We can't separate the Old Testament from the New Testament. We can't separate each book or, you know, maybe you don't like Paul, and so you don't read him. Uh, like, we need all of Scripture to speak together, to continue to tell us this one story. And uh, this is how we have, like, enriched soil in our lives. Um, and this is also how we truly walk in our identity. In Genesis, it says that man was created in the image of God. That like, we actually, on this earth, get to walk as the image of God for all other people to see. But through sin, that's what like, blurred that image. That's what made it confusing. And that's why people sometimes have a misunderstanding of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a believer. And that's why as Christians, we have to know who Jesus is and our identity in him to be that image bearer once again. And so I think when we want to consider what our, uh, what our identity is, Paul says it great in 2 Corinthians 3. You guys read this maybe months ago. 2 Corinthians 3, 2 through 6. You yourselves are a letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter... Uh, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. We actually have to let God do the work, and we need to worship Him through it. And that's how we walk in our identity. If we want to be um, renovated, we want to, like, have this identity being, like, fully showing, like, who Jesus is, we have to come to know Him, we have to desire to be with Him, um, and we have to let Him do that work in our lives. Um, and so that's my desire. That's my encouragement for us today is to really just like get to know Jesus. We have to get to know Jesus. We have to be in his word. We have to be committed to prayer. We need to be people who come together in unity and seek to lead others to him. And so Jesus, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you speak to us daily, that we can come to your, your written word and encounter you intentionally. 
We can hear you speak to us personally. I pray that we as a church family here at Crossroads are people who just have a hunger and a thirst for you, Lord. We pray that we can drink of your living water, eat of your bread, Lord, um, and just come to know you more fully, Jesus. Uh, We thank you that you continue to give um, all of yourself to us, Lord. Um, And so, yeah, Jesus, we ask that you um, help us tend that soil. Help us to... uh, to just give it to you, help it to be enriched, Lord. Pray this all in your name. Amen.